Chapter 15 of Sylvia's Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kath Gard. Sylvia's Lovers by Elizabeth Gaskell. Chapter 15 A Difficult Question. Philip went to bed with that kind of humble penitent gratitude in his heart, which we sometimes feel after a sudden revulsion of feeling from despondency to hope. The night before, it seemed as if all events were so arranged as to thwart him in his dearest wishes. He felt now as if his discontent and repining, not twenty-four hours before, had been almost impious, so great was the change in his circumstances for the better. Now all seemed promising for the fulfilment of what he most desired. He was almost convinced that he was mistaken in thinking that Kinraid had had anything more than a sailor's admiration for a pretty girl with regard to Sylvia. At any rate, he was going away tomorrow, in all probability not to return for another year, for Greenland ships left for the northern seas as soon as there was a chance of the ice being broken up and ere then he himself might speak out openly, laying before her parents all his fortunate prospects, and before her all his deep passionate love. So this night his prayers were more than the mere form that they had been the night before. They were a vehement expression of gratitude to God for having, as it were, interfered on his behalf, to grant him the desire of his eyes and the lust of his heart. He was like too many of us. He did not place his future life in the hands of God, and only ask for grace to do his will in whatever circumstances might arise. But he yearned in that terrible way after a blessing which, when granted under such circumstances, too often turns out to be equivalent to a curse. And that spirit brings with it the material and earthly idea that all events that favour our wishes are answers to our prayer, and so they are in one sense, but they need prayer in a deeper and higher spirit to keep us from the temptation to evil which such events invariably bring with them. Philip little knew how Sylvia's time had been passed that day. If he had, he would have laid down this night with even a heavier heart than he had done on the last. Charlie Kinraid accompanied his cousins as far as the spot where the path to Hayter's Bank Farm diverged, then he stopped his merry talk and announced his intention of going to see Farmer Robson. Bessie Corney looked disappointed and a little sulky, but her sister Molly Brunton laughed and said, "'Tell truth, lad. Dan'l Robson never have a call for thee if he hadn't a pretty daughter.' "'Indeed, but he would,' replied Charlie, rather annoyed. "'When I've said a thing, I'd do it. I promised last night to go see him.' "'Besides, I like the old man.' "'Well, when shall we tell mother you're coming home?' "'Toward eight o'clock, maybe sooner.' "'Why, it's bare five now. Blessed lad, does he think of staying there neat? "'And they up so late last night, and Mrs. Robson ailing beside. "'Mother'll not think it kind on you either, will she, Bess?' "'I don't know. Charlie mun do as he likes.' I dare say no one'll miss him if he does bide away till eight. Well, well, I can't tell what I shall do, 
but you'll best not stop lingering here, for it's getting on, and there'll be a keen frostbite look at stars. Hater's Bank was closed for the night, as far as it ever was closed. There were no shutters to the windows, nor did they care to draw the inside curtains so few were the passers-by. The house door was fastened, but the shipping door a little on in the same long low block of building stood open, and a dim light made an oblong upon the snowy ground outside. As Kinraid drew near, he heard talking there, and a woman's voice. He threw a passing glance through the window into the fire-lit house-place, and seeing Mrs. Robson asleep by the fireside in her easy-chair, he went on. There was the intermittent sound of the sharp whistling of milk into the pail, and Kester sitting on a three-legged stool, cajoling a capricious cow into letting her fragrant burden flow. Sylvia stood near the farther window-ledge, on which a horn-lantern was placed, pretending to knit at a grey worsted stocking, but in reality laughing at Kester's futile endeavours, and finding quite enough to do with her eyes in keeping herself untouched by the whisking tail or the occasional kick. The frosty air was mellowed by the warm and odorous breath of the cattle, breath that hung about the place in faint misty clouds. There was only a dim light, such as it was. It was not dearly defined against the dark heavy shadow in which the old black rafters and manger and partitions were enveloped. As Charlie came to the door, Kester was saying, Quiet with thee, wench. There now, she's a beauty if she'll stand still. There's never sich a cow it riding. If she'll only behave herself. She's a bonny lass, she is. Let down her milk, there's a pretty. Why, Kester, laughed Sylvia, that asking her for her milk we as many pretty speeches as thou wert wooing a wife. Hey, lass, said Kester, turning a bit towards her, and shutting one eye to cock the other the better upon her, an operation which puckered up his already wrinkled face into a thousand new lines and folds. And how does thee know how a man woos a wife, that thee talk so knowing about it? That's telling. Someone's been trying it on thee. There's never a one been so impudent, said Sylvia, reddening and tossing her head a little. I'd like to see him try me. Well, well, said Kester, wilfully misunderstanding her meaning. Thou mun be patient, wench, and if thou's a good lass, maybe thy turn'll come, and they'll try it. I wish thou'd talk o' what thou some knowledge on, Kester, instead o' that silly way, replied Sylvia. Then I mun talk no more about women, for they're past knowing, and drove Ian King Solomon silly. At this moment Charlie stepped in. Sylvia gave a little start, and dropped her ball of worsted. Kester made as though absorbed in his task of cajoling Black Nell, but his eyes and ears were both vigilant. I was going into the house, but I saw your mother asleep, and I didn't want to waken her, so I just came on here. Is your father to the fore? No, said Sylvia, hanging down her head a little, wondering if he could have heard the way in which she and Kester had been talking, and thinking over her little foolish jokes with anger against herself. Father is gone to Winthrop, about some pigs as he's heard on. He'll not be back till seven o'clock or so. It was but half past five, and Sylvia, in the irritation of the moment, believed that she wished Kinraid would go. 
but she would have been extremely disappointed if he had. Kinraid himself seemed to have no thought of the kind. He saw with his quick eyes, not unaccustomed to women, that his coming so unexpectedly had fluttered Sylvia, and anxious to make her quite at her ease with him, and not unwilling to conciliate Kester, he addressed his next speech to him, with the same kind of air of interest in the old man's pursuit that a young man of a different class sometimes puts on when talking to the chaperone of a pretty girl in a ballroom. "'That's a handsome beast you have just been milking, master.' "'Aye, but handsome is as handsome does. It were only yesterday as she aimed her leg right at pale whipped afterings in. She knowed it were afterings as well as any Christian, and to more to mischief, better she likes it and if i hadn't been too quick for her it would have gone swash down in tip litter this one's a far better cow in long run she's just a steady goer as the milky downpour came musical and even from the stall next to black nell's sylvia was knitting away vigorously thinking all the while that it was a great pity she had not put on a better gown or even a cap with brighter ribbon and quite unconscious how very pretty she looked, standing against the faint light, her head a little bent down, her hair catching bright golden touches as it fell from under her little linen cap, her pink bedgown confined by her apron string, giving a sort of easy grace to her figure, her dark full linsey petticoat short above her trim ankles, looking far more suitable to the place where she was standing than her long gown of the night before would have done. Kinraid was wanting to talk to her, and to make her talk, but was uncertain how to begin. In the meantime, Kester went on with the subject last spoken about. Black Nell's at her fourth cow now, so she ought to have left off her tricks and turned sober-like. But bless you, there's some cows as'll be skittish till they're fat fit butcher. Not but what I like milking her better nor a steady goer, a man has always summit to be watching for. "'and I'm kind of set up when I mastered her at last. "'The young miss is there. "'She's mighty fond of coming to see Black Nell at her tantrums. "'She'd never come near me if a cow's like this'n.' "'Do you often come and see the cows milked?' asked Kinraid. "'Many a time,' said Sylvia, smiling a little. "'Why, when we're throng, I help Kester. "'But now we've only Black Nell and Daisy giving milk.' "'Kester knows as I can milk Black Nell quite easy,' she continued, half-vexed that Kester had not named this accomplishment. "'Aye, when she's in a good frame of mind, as she is sometimes, but difficulty is to milk her at all times. "'I wish I'd come a bit sooner. "'I should like to see you milk Black Nell,' addressing Sylvia. "'You'll better come to Martine and see what a hand shall make on her,' said Kester. "'Tomorrow night I shall be far on my road back to Shields.' "'Tomorrow,' said Sylvia, suddenly looking up at him, and then dropping her eyes as she found he had been watching for the effect of his intelligence on her. "'I mun be back at Dwayla, where I'm engaged,' continued he. "'She's fitting up after a fresh fashion, and as I've been one as wanted new ways, I mun be on the spot for to look after her.' "'Maybe I shall take a run down here afore sailing in March. "'I'm sure I shall try.' "'There was a good deal meant and understood by these last few words. 
the tone in which they were spoken gave them a tender intensity not lost upon either of the hearers. Kester cocked his eye once more, but with as little obtrusiveness as he could, and pondered the sailor's looks and ways. He remembered his coming about the place the winter before, and how the old master had then appeared to have taken to him, but at that time Sylvia had seemed to Kester too little removed from a child to have either art or part in Kinraid's visits. Now, however, the case was different. Kester, in his sphere, among his circle of acquaintance, narrow though it was, had heard with much pride of Sylvia's bearing away the bell at church and at market, wherever girls of her age were congregated. He was a north countryman, so he gave out no further sign of his feelings than his mistress and Sylvia's mother had done on a like occasion. "'To lass is weel enough,' said he. But he grinned to himself and looked about, and listened to the hearsay of every lad, wondering who was handsome and brave and good enough to be Sylvia's mate. Now of late, it had seemed to the canny farm servant pretty clear that Philip Hepburn was after her, and to Philip, Kester had an instinctive objection, a kind of natural antipathy, such as has existed in all ages between the dwellers in a town and those in the country, between agriculture and trade. So while Kinraid and Sylvia kept up their half-tender, half-jesting conversation, Kester was making up his slow, persistent mind as to the desirability of the young man then present as a husband for his darling, as much from his being other than Philip in every respect as from the individual good qualities he possessed. Kester's first opportunity of favouring Kinraid's suit consisted in being as long as possible over his milking. So never were cows that required such stripping or were expected to yield such afterings as Black Nell and Daisy that night. But all things must come to an end, and at length Kester got up from his three-legged stool on seeing what the others did not, that the dip-candle in the lantern was coming to an end, and that in two or three minutes more the shippin' would be in darkness, and so his pails of milk be endangered. In an instant Sylvia had started out of her delicious dreamland, her drooping eyes were raised, and recovered their power of observation. Her ruddy arms were freed from the apron in which she had enfolded them as a protection from the gathering cold and she had seized and adjusted the wooden yoke across her shoulders, ready to bear the brimming milk-pails to the dairy. "'Look ye out her!' exclaimed Kester to Charlie, as he adjusted the fragrant pails on the yoke. "'She thinks she's missus already, and she's eyes for carrying it milk since rheumatiz crotched my shoulder at back end. And when she says yea, it's as much as my head's worth to say nay. And along the wall, round the corner, down the round slippery stones of the rambling farmyard, behind the buildings, did Sylvia trip, safe and well poised, though the ground wore all one coating of white snow, and in many places was so slippery as to oblige Kinraid to linger near Kester, the lantern-bearer. Kester did not lose his opportunity, though the cold misty night air provoked his asthmatic cough whenever he breathed, and often interrupted his words. "'She's a good wench, a good wench as ever was, "'and come on a good stock, and that summit, "'whether in a cow or a woman. "'I've known her from a baby, 
She's a reet down good'n. By this time they had reached the back kitchen door, just as Sylvia had unladen herself, and was striking a light with flint and tinder. The house seemed warm and inviting after the piercing outer air, although the kitchen into which they entered contained only a raked and slumbering fire at one end, over which, on a crook, hung the immense pan of potatoes cooking for the evening meal of the pigs. To this pan, Kester immediately addressed himself, swinging it round with ease, owing to the admirable simplicity of the old-fashioned machinery. Kinraid stood between Kester and the door into the dairy, through which Sylvia had vanished with the milk. He half wished to conciliate Kester by helping him, but he seemed also attracted by a force which annihilated his will to follow her wherever she went. Kester read his mind. "'Let alone, let alone,' said he. "'Pig's vittle takes no such dainty carrying as milk. "'I may set it down and never spill a drop. "'She's no unfit fit to serve swine. "'Nor you're the mester. "'Better help her team to milk.' "'So Kinraid followed the light, his light, "'into the icy chill of the dairy, "'where the bright polished tin cans were quickly dimmed "'with the warm, sweet-smelling milk.' that Sylvia was emptying out into the brown pans. In his haste to help her, Charlie took up one of the pails. "'Eh, that un's to be strained. You have uh, the cow's hair in. Mother's very particular and cannot abide her hair.' So she went over to her awkward dairymaid, and before she, but not before he, was aware of the sweet proximity, she was adjusting his happy, awkward arms to the new office of holding a milk strainer over the bowl and pouring the white liquid through it. There, she said, looking up for a moment and half blushing. Now you'll know how to do it next time. I wish next time was to come now, said Kinraid, but she had returned to her own pail and seemed not to hear him. He followed her to her side of the dairy. I've but a short memory. "'Can you not show me again how to hold strainer?' "'No,' she said, half laughing, "'but holding her strainer fast "'in spite of his insinuating efforts "'to unlock her fingers. "'But there's no need to tell me "'you've gotten a short memory. "'Why, what have I done? "'How done you know it?' "'Last night,' she began, "'and then she stopped and turned away her head, "'pretending to be busy in her dairy duties "'of rinsing and such like. Well, said he, half conjecturing her meaning and flattered by it, if his conjecture were right. Last night, what? Oh, you know, said she, as if impatient at being both literally and metaphorically followed about and driven into a corner. No, tell me, persisted he. Well, said she, if you will have it, I think you showed your but a short memory when you didn't know me again. "'And you were five times at this house last winter, "'and that's not so long sin. "'But I suppose you'll see a vast of things "'on your voyages by land or by sea, "'and then it's but natural you should forget.' "'She wished she could go on talking, "'but could not think of anything more to say just then, "'for in the middle of her sentence, "'the flattering interpretation he might put upon her words, "'on her knowing so exactly the number of times "'he had been to Hatersbank, flashed upon her, and she wanted to lead the conversation a little farther afield, to make it a little less personal. This was not his wish, however. In a tone which thrilled through her, 
even in her own despite, he said, Do you think that can ever happen again, Sylvia? She was quite silent, almost trembling. He repeated the question as if to force her to answer. Driven to bay, she equivocated. What happened again? Let me go, I don't know what you're talking about, and I'm almost numbed with cold. For the frosty air came sharp in through the open lattice window, and the ice was already forming on the milk. Kinraid would have found a ready way of keeping his cousins, or indeed most young women, warm. But he paused before he dared put his arm round Sylvia. She had something so shy and wild in her look and manner, and her very innocence of what her words, spoken by another girl, might lead to, inspired him with respect, and kept him in check. So he contented himself with saying, "'I'll let you go into the warm kitchen, if you'll tell me if you'll think I can ever forget you again.' She looked up at him defiantly, and set her red lips firm. He enjoyed her determination not to reply to this question. It showed she felt its significance." Her pure eyes looked steadily into his, nor was the expression in his such as to daunt her or make her afraid. They were like two children defying each other, each determined to conquer. At last she unclosed her lips, and nodding her head as if in triumph, said, as she folded her arms once more in her check apron, "'You'll have to go home some time.' "'Not for a couple of hours yet,' said he, "'and you'll be frozen first. So you'll better say if I can ever forget you again without more ado. Perhaps the fresh voices breaking on the silence, perhaps the tones were less modulated than they had been before, but anyhow, Belle Robson's voice was heard calling Sylvia through the second door, which opened from the dairy to the house place, in which her mother had been till this moment asleep. Sylvia darted off in obedience to the call, glad to leave him, as at that moment Kinraid resentfully imagined. Through the open door he heard the conversation between mother and daughter, almost unconscious of its meaning, so difficult did he find it to wrench his thoughts from the ideas he had just been forming with Sylvia's bright, lovely face right under his eyes. "'Sylvia?' said her mother. "'Who's yonder?' Belle was sitting up in the attitude of one startled out of slumber, into intensity of listening, her hands on each of the chair arms, as if just going to rise. There's a friend man at thou, I heard his voice. It's only, it's just Charlie Kinraid. He was a talking to me at Dairy. It Dairy, lass, and how come he in Dairy? He come to see Feather. Feather asked him last night, said Sylvia conscious that he could overhear every word that was said, and a little suspecting that he was no great favourite with her mother. "'Thy father's out. How come thee it dairy?' persevered Belle. "'He come past this window, and saw yo asleep, and didn't like for to waken yo, so he come out on to shipping, and when I carried to milking. But now Kinraid came in, feeling the awkwardness of the situation a little, yet with an expression so pleasant and manly in his open face, and in his exculpatory manner, that Sylvia lost his first words in a strange kind of pride of possession in him, about which she did not reason nor care to define the grounds. But her mother rose from her chair somewhat formally, 
as if she did not intend to sit down again while he stayed, yet was too weak to be kept in that standing attitude long. "'I'm afeard, sir, Sylvie hasn't told you that my master's out, and not like to be in till late. He'll be main and sorry to have missed you.' There was nothing for it after this but to go. His only comfort was that on Sylvia's rosy face he could read unmistakable signs of regret and dismay. His sailor's life in bringing him suddenly face to face with unexpected events had given him something of that self-possession which we consider the attribute of a gentleman, and with an apparent calmness which almost disappointed Sylvia, who construed it into a symptom of indifference as to whether he went or stayed. He bade her mother good-night, and only said, in holding her hand a minute longer than was absolutely necessary, "'I'm coming back here, I sail, and then maybe you'll answer yon question.' He spoke low, and her mother was rearranging herself in her chair, else Sylvia would have had to repeat the previous words. As it was, with soft, thrilling ideas ringing through her, she could get her wheel and sit down to her spinning by the fire, waiting for her mother to speak first, Sylvia dreamt her dreams. Belle Robson was partly aware of the state of things as far as it lay on the surface. She was not aware how deep down certain feelings had penetrated into the girl's heart who sat on the other side of the fire with a little sad air diffused over her face and figure. Belle looked upon Sylvia as still a child to be warned off forbidden things by threats of danger. But the forbidden thing was already tasted, and possible danger in its full acquisition only served to make it more precious sweet. Belle sat upright in her chair, gazing into the fire. Her milk-white linen mob-cap fringed around and softened her face, from which the usual apple-red was banished by illness, and the features from the same cause rendered more prominent and stern. She had a clean buff kerchief round her neck, and stuffed into the bosom of her Sunday woollen gown of dark blue. If she had been in working trim, she would have worn a bedgown like Sylvia's. Her sleeves were pinned back at the elbows, and her brown arms and hard-working hands lay crossed in unwanted idleness on her check apron. Her knitting was by her side, and if she had been going through any accustomed calculation or consideration, she would have had it busily clicking in her fingers. But she had something quite beyond common to think about, and perhaps to speak about, and for the minute she was not equal to knitting. "'Sylvie,' she began at length, "'did I tell thee on Nancy Hartley, as I knew when I were a child? "'I'm thinking a deal on her to-night. "'Maybe it's because I've been dreaming on yon old times. "'She was a bonny lass as ever were seen, I've heard folk say.' "'but that were afore I knew her. "'When I knew her, she was crazy, poor wench. "'We her black hair was streaming down her back, "'and her eyes, as were almost as black, "'Alice crying out for pity, "'though never a word she spoke, but he once was here. "'Just that, o'er and o'er again. "'Whether she were cold or hot, full or hungry, "'he once was here, were all her speech.' She had been farm servant to my mother's brother, James Hepburn, that great uncle as was. She were a poor friendless wench, a parish prentice, 
but honest and gaum like till a lad as nobody knowed come o'er the hills one sheep shearing for Whitehaven. He had summat to do with the sea, though not rightly to be called a sailor, and he made a deal on Nancy Hartley just to beguile the time like. And he went away, and they sent a thought after her more. It's the ways lads have. And there's no holding em when there's fellas as nobody knows. Neither where they come from, nor what they've been doing o' their lives. Till they come athwart some poor wench like Nancy Hartley. She were but a softy after all, for she left off doing her work in a proper manner. I've heard my aunt say she found out as summat was wrong with Nancy as soon as milk turned bingy, for there ne'er had been such a clean lass about her milk cans afore that. And from bad it grew to worse, and she would sit and do nothing but play with her fingers from morn till night. And if they asked her what ailed her, she just said, He once was here. And if they bid her go about her work, it were the same. And when they scolded her, and pretty sharp too, she would stand up and put her hair from her eyes, and look about her like a crazy thing, searching for her wits and ne'er finding them, for all she could think on was just, he once was here. It were a caution to me again, thinking a man to mean what he says when he's a-talking to a young woman. But what became of poor Nancy? asked Sylvia. What should become on her, or on any lass that gives herself up to thinking on a man who cares nought for her? replied her mother a little severely. She were crazed, and my aunt couldn't keep her on, could she? She did keep her a long weary time, thinking as she would maybe come to herself, and anyhow, she were a motherless wench. But at length she had for to go where she came from, back to Keswick Workhouse, and when last I heard on her, she were chained to the great kitchen dresser at workhouse. They'd beaten her till she were taught to be silent and quiet in the daytime, but at night, when she were left alone, she would take up that cry till it wrung their heart, so they'd many a time to come down and beat her again to get any peace. It were a caution to me, as I said afore, to keep for thinking on men as thought nought on me. Poor crazy Nancy, sighed Sylvia. The mother wondered if she had taken the caution to herself, or was only full of pity for the mad girl, dead long before. End of chapter 15